Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosser. It gives me a great pleasure to welcome back to Viewpoints, Russell Hanby. Uh, Russell, how are you? We've not been on air together for a little while. No, I'm I'm pretty good, thanks. And uh, you've had a bit of a, a couple two two trips. I well, I think we spoke to you after your Japan trip. But yes, you've been you've been to the United States now, haven't you? Yes, in the meantime? yes, we've had a little bit of a break, long surface leave. We went to the states, uh, down to Dallas, uh, Texas. Very different sort of country down there. Um, but it was a an eye opener. I've always said to people, Russell, that um, there's. Uh, n- one of the greatest ways to learn and grow is to travel if you can afford it and you have the time. Have you travelled that, widely? That's right. No, 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 in the last 10 years that we've been to, we went on a cruise and went to England and Prague and those places and New Zealand, Tasmania, but nothing in the recent months, no, or, we, or years. No, well, you're due to go for one. I know you've, you've actually been travelling, uh, <laughs> or you will be travelling in the next couple of weeks to a new home, I, I hear. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, moving, downsizing, moving house. Uh, not that far away from here, actually. So, uh, but it doesn't matter whether you move next door or uh, twenty kilometres or two hundred kilometres away. Sort of do the same work, don't you, to prepare the place? Yes, you do. And uh, you got everything organised. You having any last minute pangs about moving? No, not so much pangs. It's all a bit. Uh, it's not the easiest of things to do. I think we're looking forward to set, having settled in. You know. But anyway, uh, it's good to do it, I suppose, uh, before one gets too old, you know. Yeah, well, you're hardly too old. You're still a whippersnapper, you keep telling me. <laughs> well, that's right, yeah. Yes. Now, you tell me, when you, I always find that whenever I've moved, I've found it very difficult to actually be efficient with it because you go through a whole pile of things that you've perhaps not looked at for some time and then suddenly you're reading them and then before you know it, hours have passed and you've still got a pile of nostalgic documents and artefacts that uh, you haven't looked at for 20 years and you're sort of tempted to keep them. That's right. A bit the same with old photo frame. We years ago, we, everyone put photo planes on those blocks, uh, blocks of wood, and you have them like a gallery. Well, now of course with computers and everyone downloads onto phones and that, you sort of look at these and think, well, do we would we ever need them again? And then you you know you, you, you're caught, aren't you, whether you throw out family photos or or not? Mm, yeah. No. Look, it's an interesting one. But you've got it all under control, and you're ready to move. Oh, I think so. Yeah, huh? I reckon we could move. Probably could move in a day or two if we had to. But That's now, a even, you know. yeah, are you moving far from where you lived? No, only Roseville. I'm living in Fertry Gully, so just only ten minutes away on a good day. Yeah, so that's, oh, uh, right. So you basically you've you've found your niche over up there in the gully, and you've just moved moved places. That's right. Well, I've been here for 39 years, so we we don't move a lot. <laughs> no, you don't, and uh, you'll still be known to all the locals there, I presume. I suppose, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't got rid of you. Now, I know before the break you had some homework. Um, I haven't forgotten. Tell us all about it. Well, we talked about uh, the cases of liver cancer mm. are growing, particularly in the uh, northern part of Australia, and uh, it seemed to be to do with climate change, and you asked me to perhaps look into that a bit more uh, deeply. Yes, did you? Oh, yes, I had a look. I, I do it straight away after the, the session, so I don't forget, you know. Sure. Uh, Anyway, aflatoxin, uh, that's uh, uh, from a mould. It's the uh, substance from a mould, either peanut or corn, or maize or rice or soybean mould. It causes mutations in the liver cells, and that's what causes the cancer. So they've analysed what uh, the particular substance is, the aflatoxin. Uh, now, the fungus 
uh, mould is spread in warming temperatures. So tropical North Australia fosters the, aflac the aflatoxin due to heat and humidity. Uh, in fact, generally, the death rate from liver cancer has increased by 184% from 1982 to 2015. According to the World Meteorological Organisation, the past seven years have been the hottest on record, and the average temperature, they say, has increased by 1.11 degrees Celsius in 2001, the latter half of the 19th century. Uh, that's compared to the last, uh, mm. over the, you know, over, over the decades. Mm. And, of course, this heat change fosters mould and hence the aflatoxin. And, and, of course, as regards the crops, last year Australia produced the most valuable year yet with good growing conditions, especially winter crop. And so um, the conclusion is, about all this, that the grain mould flourishes in warm tropical areas and the other thing is, in the last three years, the temperatures got hotter uh, due to climate change, which are the ideal conditions for mould. And the other part of the equation is that there's been bumper crops, which means more mould fungi around. That is a combination of these conditions. Also, uh, since uh, they we've had COVID, there's been a large migration to Queensland's north in the last three years, especially from Victoria and New South Wales. So the population there has increased so I guess that would account for some of the increased numbers too. Mm, fascinating. Well, gee, you're good on doing your homework, mate. I must compliment you on that. Uh, fascinating. Uh, even if it is disturbing news, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. And climate change may well have contributed to something else there that we may not formally have been uh, aware of. Now, we haven't even got started. We're six minutes into the <laughs> program and we haven't got started, so we'd better get cracking on... Uh, on what's making news, but thank you for that, Russ. Now, number one, it's in the age. Australia must be on song at Eurovision. Sweden, Finland, Russell, have firmed as the countries Australia must beat if it is to have a chance of taking the crown at the 67th annual Eurovision Song Contest in Liverpool. Both delivered competition-winning performances in Eurovision's first semi-final. Um, that's a fairly high-profile prestige um, music uh, award system, uh, isn't it? Yes, and I, I was surprised that the year had rolled around so quickly since the last time. But uh, mm. anyway, this year there are 37 countries competing and the TV audience is expected to be about 60 million. Uh, and uh, Sweden, Finland, Croatia, Moldova, Switzerland, uh, Czechia, uh, Israel, Portugal, Serbia, Norway, they proceed into this week's final. And the Australian band is called Voyager. Now, that's uh, in the second semi-final. In fact, they mm. were quite lucky. They were able to avoid the elimination round and go directly into, it's actually Friday mornings, uh, or tomorrow, whenever we do this podcast or radio broadcast. Uh, it's uh, the second semi is tomorrow morning where Voyager struts or sings their stuff. Now, Voyager also have got the good luck of appearing last. They reckon that's a good idea in yes. tomorrow's semi because it's good for the judges. It sort of sticks in the memory uh, the last act or two. Now, Voyager um, is to face some of the competition's less likely contenders, like Austria, Armenia and Slovenia, which is uh, good news for, for us, I suppose, too. Now, this year, the event's in Liverpool in the UK. Now, last year's winner, Ukraine, was unable to host the competition due, of course, to the conflict after Russia's invasion. Uh, now, this year, the favourite still to win is Sweden, but uh, 
we have got a bit of a show perhaps this time, haven't we? Yeah, we have. Of course, they've got to compete against another Australian artist, singer Andrew Lambrew, who's actually representing Cyprus with Break a Broken Heart. So um, there's a bit of competition internally, but it's uh, under the banner of Cyprus. Uh, this year's... Uh, this year's Eurovision's a little bit um, tamer compared to politically than last year where uh, the expulsion of Russia after its invasion of the Ukraine, the 23 competition uh, does seem uh, calmer as people say. That's right, yes. Yeah. So you know, hopefully we'll have a good year and uh, hopefully the Voyager will do well. Yeah, do you know anything about them? I don't. No, I don't. First I heard of them was this week uh, when we knew they were contenders. You know, I think they're from Western Australia, I heard someone say, but... Anyway, good luck to them. Yeah, I'd be interested to check out their music. Now, Liverpool's a famous um, music hometown, isn't it? There's a, a number of very famous bands have, have come from there, and I know that uh, Liverpool, uh, Liverpudlians, as they call themselves, are quite keen to have the uh, have the competition there. Do you know a few of the bands that have uh, well, performed? <laughs> From well, there? the Beatles is the, the Beatles is the obvious one back uh, back then, isn't it? Yes. Um, were the Rolling Stones from Liverpool? Or no, not? they were from London. Okay. And what other groups do you know who've come from Liverpool? Uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood. Right. And one that you would know, and I like some of their music, Jerry and the Pacemakers. Oh, yeah, the old Jerry and the Pacemakers. Yeah, Ferry yeah. Across the Mersey, their famous yeah. one. Yes, yeah. yes, you, yes. Yep. Um, I, often play that, I often play that after 11 o'clock on my Thursday program uh, on Casey Radio. There, yeah, yeah, he's passed away now, but he was, had a very distinctive voice, didn't he, Jerry Marston? Y- yes, that's right, he did. He did. Uh, yes, a lot of our groups of those 60s came from uh, Liverpool area, didn't they? Yes, yes, it was. England was um, really a hotbed of, uh, of um, great uh, rock and pop music back in the 60s and 70s, even into the 80s. They've... Um, they were, yeah, known to be. There were so many. I mean, one of the more influential ones was Cream. If you remember yes. the band Cream, very much pace setters and trendsetters in music, weren't they? They were. So different sort of music to today, isn't it? I suppose us uh, more mature people look uh, back to those uh, 60s, 70s songs with uh, great affection still, don't we? They absolutely do. We need to take a short break and we've still got quite a bit to get through, Russell. So can you hold the line? Yes, certainly. Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossack, and Russell Hanby, my co-host, is ready to rip and roar into the next uh, the next couple of items. Off you go, Russ. Yes, well, from the Herald Sun, uh, live and let the cancer die. A vaccine that can switch on the body's T-cells to kill cancer is being developed by Victorian scientists, another medical research breakthrough. Uh, T-cells protect the body from infection and may help fight cancer. Now, this vaccine will use special what they call dendritic cells, DCIs for short, to spy on the cancer, shake up the T-cells meant to kill cancer, and then stir them into action. Uh, the vaccine uh, adds to the treatment that uh, by the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute and the Peter McCallum Centre using cell therapies. Now, this therapy engineers human stem or immune cells to supercharge a patient's own cells to fight cancer. So it's very much into immunology. The team is confident of clinical trials taking place in the next two years. And what it does, it enables T-cells to recognise mm. and kill cancer. Uh, that's a breakthrough to do that. Now, the DCIs 
can turn T cells back on. I didn't know that the cancer cells actually can turn it off. No, so they're quite. Yeah. That's quite um, sophisticated, isn't it? Cancer cells yeah. can turn off T cells. And this uh, new DCI uh, vaccine thing can turn them back on again. Mm. And they're great. And uh, the Professor Naik, the Walton Eliza Hall project leader, said that these DCIs are great for solid cancers and possibly for many others. So it looks like it's a, another breakthrough there. Mm. Yes, and the inability in uh, the body to produce enough what they call DCIs to be injected back into patients has remained a universal barrier that's prevented clinical trials from progressing to cancer patients. But if his team is successful, this will change all that. It'd be quite revolutionary and, and another medical potential breakthrough um, engineered in Australia. Yes, so uh, that's good. We, we Every week just about we have some sort of health a medical report and uh, here's another one. And it's always good, Russell, isn't it? There's so much glooming news around. It's always nice to have things that are positive because um, finding the positives in the media can at times be rather challenging, can't it? Yes, they can indeed, and uh, it's good to have something a bit light-hearted, not light-hearted, but uh, promising, isn't it? Promising uh, and positive, yes, which yes, then leads me right. into one which is, I guess, uh, understandable and makes sense, but it's uh, it's also a little bit of a, a disappointment to people. In the age, failure to launch Spaceports Funding Axed. The government, uh, the Australian government, has axed a plan to bankroll spaceports and rocket launch facilities in Australia as part of funding cuts, Russell, to the space industry that could stall critical momentum in the sector industry figures have warned. Yes, uh, the Department of Industry, Sciences and Resources, they've recouped $77 million in savings in the federal budget by cutting three programs uh, and to support Australia's space technology. That includes $32.3 million to co-invest with space ports and launch sites. Our senior space policy analyst at the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, Dr Malcolm Davis, said that the axing was bad news. He said the cut undermines our sovereign space capabilities and really undermines our competitiveness internationally. Uh, now, there's current spaceport is at Arnhem Space Centre in the Northern Territory. Another yep. one was planned. I wonder how the funding's going now for one in Toowoomba in 2024. Now, in Adelaide, it actually happens this week when this announcement was made. There is a space forum for a 1,000 attendees and 80 Australian space companies. They're meeting there. Uh, now, the industry associate CEO, James Brown, he wants $500 million for the space industry, and he says how important that is for research or investigating into weather and climate data and a whole lot of other things. So um, I know it saves a lot of money, but you've got to be careful that you don't uh, take it all back, I would think. Yes, and of course it uh, creates that dilemma, doesn't it? And it's always been one. We've got, uh, we've got critical needs right here and now in the everyday lives of people, um, and uh, that's a very present uh, urgency. And on the other hand, we've got the, the obvious long-term benefits uh, of, of being engaged in um, space travel and research that does feed back into uh, potentially knowledge that can lead us to a better, a better world for us here on Earth. So, yeah, it's a, it's a dilemma. And I think whichever way governments go, um, they, they're, they're going to disappoint somebody, aren't they? 
They are, yes. Whether they can provide down the track a bit of a compromise and give some funding back, you know, rather than take the lot, uh, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Mm, and, um, of course, um, a country that leads the way, and that is the Americans with NASA, isn't it? They've been at the forefront uh, for a long, long time in space uh, space travel. They've had other countries uh, like Russia uh, up there with them at times, but they're certainly... Uh, there's certainly an out there in front uh, country on space travel, and I know they've had cutbacks from time to time too. Yes, they have indeed. So we'll have to watch this space, I think. Pun <laughs> not intended. Absolutely. <laughs> that was clever. Okay, Russ, you can tidy up the last of these before we go on to um, the odd spot. Yes, well, from the Herald Sun, Dolly still helping us to, to boot out bullying. Now, in the wake of Amy Dolly Everett's tragic passing more than five years ago, the family vowed to her memory to keep her memory to keep her memory alive by establishing anti-bullying organisation Dolly's Dream. Yes, in 2018, Dolly took her life at only the age of 14 after facing persistent and cruel bullying. Her parents and sister. They're going to celebrate the fifth anniversary of Do It For Dolly. That's a national day to unite against bullying and promote kindness in the community. Now, studies have found that one in four Australian school students aged as low as four years up to nine has experienced bullying. Uh, that uh, Now, 340,000 roughly suffer in silence. That's one in seven who do not report uh, get or seek help and support. Um, now, parents, carers and educators are encouraged to open up and have conversations about what is happening. Now, this group have uh, made a new TV ad which shows a bullied child coming home from school and it follows her situation there. Now, the organisation Dolly's Dream uses funds raised to offer a free support line and a parent hub. So that's uh, what's come out of uh, poor Amy's death. Mm, yes, and it, it was quite a tragic one, and I, I really commend these parents and the people setting this up because, look, Billy, bullying is an insidious curse, and we read about it every other day, and social media has become an, uh, a platform for it. I read in today's papers, even, Russell, that some of the schools uh, that we know of uh, are struggling with their students uh, on platforms such as TikTok, um, and there's an enormous amount of work there, not not just to um, not just to help people deal with bullying uh, and eradicate it, but to have the social media platforms um, do something to prevent it getting up there uh, in the first place. That's right. It's all pervasive to the modern media, mm. isn't it? Uh, mm. You don't just leave it at the school gate uh, like years ago, but uh, but kids can get it at night or any time in the kitten. And there's a bit of an anonymity too, I think, from the from the bully often too, you know. Mm, yes, and um, it's a very poignant message uh, out there. And it, look, it's something bullying's been around forever and a day, and it's uh, social media has really given it a voice and a power that uh, prior wasn't quite. Uh, so so prevalent or evident, even though, you know, bullying went on. But social media just escalates it to an horrendous level and anything that we can do that makes it, uh, mitigates against it, uh, so much the better. Odd spot, Russell. Now, 
you're not one of these characters, are you, that's been doing this? I couldn't no. believe it. <laughs> no, this is a, a fellow here. The long arm of the law finally caught up with a pensioner on the weekend who drove UK roads for 50 years without ever having a licence. Derbyshire Road uh, Police uh, pulled the motorist over after hearing he had bragged about his scam. When they did, insurance records showed that he was a long-time driver with an equally long record of lying about being licensed. Authorities were divided between those offended by the 69-year-old's long-standing disregard for the law and those who reasoned, well, he must have been a real, relatively safe driver given he had gone <laughs> undetected for so long. In other words, he lasted 50 years and didn't come to anyone's attention. Uh, about the, like the, for speeding or anything like that, so yeah, I can see that side of it. But fifty years, eh? I wonder what the penalty will be. Yeah, it'll be very interesting because really you can't condone it. It's just not on. Eh? Now, how many times did you get caught for trafficking infringements in your life? Uh, only, I think I've had three speed tickets. Uh, never had any parking tickets. Three speed tickets uh, in, within ten k of the uh, the speed limit, you know. So it wouldn't have done um, you any good to be unlicensed, would it? No. You'd have got caught. Case, <laughs> each case, I think you have three years, I was able to plead my case and get off with a, a, a wagging of the finger type of warning, you know. Uh, well, you're a good fellow. I've probably had a couple more than you, but um, at the moment I'm doing pretty well. Right, oh, and you haven't, <laughs> had, you haven't had to tell, make out that someone else was driving your car or anything like that. No, not at all, Russell. <laughs> That's illegal anyway. You it can't is illegal, do that. Yes. I wouldn't imagine anyone who did it would be, uh, and I haven't done it, would be silly enough or naive <laughs> enough to announce it publicly. No, I, I've heard of some, I've, I don't know who they are, but you do hear of married couples who uh, do end up getting caught sometimes by trying to do that, don't you? Mm, or people uh, passing it on to children or backwards yeah, or uh, friends or whatever, God knows what. Uh, no, that's but, illegal and we certainly can't, can't condone that at all, Russell. On that note, we'll call that quits. It's been uh, wonderful catching back up with you and uh, good luck with you uh, moving. You'll be a week closer to it when we next chat. That's right, yes. Next uh, Thursday we should be right to do this, so that'll be good, yeah. Excellent. Well, good luck with all that, Russell, and um, have a great weekend. Okay, and we'll uh, see you next week, yes. Uh, so it was Russell Hanby and What's Making News, co-host for this program. He's busy tidying up his house and getting things settled for a, a move in a fortnight, and uh, we do hope you have a great weekend, listeners. <laughs>